Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Oh, there's the soothing voice of Bill Sutton <laughs> back at the top of the podcast. The soothing voice of Annette Hinkle back. Yeah, I was on vacation for a couple of weeks and it was like one of the first times I went on vacation, I didn't actually compulsively constantly check my emails. I was like, and there were some that came in. I'm like, nope, just ignoring that. I um, see it. I see it. I don't, I see nothing. Good so, for you. You got it. I don't know if you felt my that. absence keenly in a different way than maybe you had in previous times I've allegedly vacationed. We gave you some space as much as we could. Yeah. You, you've got to be away completely or it's not really a vacation. That's called retirement. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, coming back, you know, it's like you wonder. So you do all the work beforehand. So things run smoothly when you're absent. And then the minute you get back, you're checking the 435 emails that have come in since you left. So I'm not sure where the vacation part comes in, I guess, in that little stretch in between. But, you yeah. know, we have an unusual job in that way. Like a lot of people work at jobs where they walk out the door and somebody else knows how to, you know, handle all of their stuff and they don't have to worry about it. And they come back and, you know, but this whole deadline thing is a whole different animal, I feel. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm glad that well, you um, pulled it I, off. Yeah. I always feel like I need a vacation after the first day back from vacation. <laughs> I get that. You get that instant yeah, Sometimes stress. it's easier just to like check your emails while you're gone. Yeah. Just there's no, but sometimes you get really bad ones. You don't even want to see while you're on vacation. So, yeah. but I avoided it all. So, so nice to be back with you, Bill Sutton. That's Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hi, Matt. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here is Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. Hey, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And Brendan O'Reilly's with us again today. Hiya, Brendan. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I'm the Deputy Managing Editor. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And this week, we're talking about kind of giving you a primer on some of something that often comes up in the newsroom, and that's the open meetings law. And this is a law that governs how municipalities, boards go into executive session to discuss things in private. And um, we thought it might be interesting to talk about what people who attend meetings should expect what they can legally expect and when they could perhaps lodge a complaint in the way that boards go into executive sessions to discuss things that they claim are to be discussed behind closed doors. So Brendan, you are our resident open meetings law expert. So I wondered if you want to jump in and talk about how open meetings laws came about, how they work and what the purpose of them is. Sure. So Open meetings law is a type of sunshine law, and I would say we have two laws in New York State that fit under this category, one being open meetings law, the other one being the freedom of information law. Uh, freedom of information law pertains to what documents you are allowed to request from a local government or the state that they have to hand over to you, and open, open meetings law pertains to ensuring that public bodies are conducting public business in public. Mm. So this is the law that you would use to say, well, a board made a decision without telling anybody that they were getting together to make a decision. You would go to court and you could get that decision invalidated because the board violated open meetings law. 
There are other times when boards get together and they don't take a formal vote. So then it can actually become very difficult to prove that they're, that the open meetings law was broken because there's no decision that they made, no resolution that they passed that needs to be overturned. But you're still not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to have a quorum of board members get together and discuss the biz- the business of a village, of a town, of the state. Um, so just to, just to clarify, most of our quorum boards out here, the quorum would be three, three members or four? So our village boards tend to be five members. So a quorum would be three. The town boards tend to be five. A quorum would be three. This also applies to school boards. And we have some school boards that have seven members. So a quorum might be four. Right. Okay. Uh, generally, a quorum is considered enough members for uh, a vote to pass. For a vote to pass, you know. This is one of those rare times, too, where I feel like quoting the legislative direct declaration extensively sort of is important to do because I think it sums it up. The, in, a, in an approving the Sunshine Law, the legislative declaration was, it is essential to the maintenance of a democratic society that the public business be performed in an open and public manner and that the citizens of this state be fully aware of and able to observe the performance of public officials and attend and listen to the deliberations and decisions that go into the making of public policy. The point being, you have a right to see public business being done. I I remember at points in the past, different officials saying, well, it's too early for that to go to the public. We, we want to have something in place before we take it public. Well, that's not how public business works. You're supposed to be able to see the, the machinations take place that lead to a final proposal. Otherwise, there's, there's not much point. I, I mean, if all you get to see is the final product and you don't get to see how it's made, uh, that's, that's just really problematic. So do we want to talk about what boards are legally allowed to speak to in executive session? And then maybe we could talk about, in generality, some of the questionable violations that we've seen um, over the years. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a current issue right now in Southampton Village, right, Brendan? I mean, you, first, it might be worth explaining what we mean by executive sessions for people who don't really know. An executive session is when a board, a committee, what have you, takes a vote in public session, the vote passes by a majority and says, we may enter executive session now. In executive session, you could turn off cameras and recording devices and you may exclude the public. If any votes are taken in executive session, they have to be recorded in the minutes. However, you don't need to write down any deliberations that happened that didn't lead to a vote. Uh, So that's what an executive session is. And there are certain points that allow a board to enter executive session. And when they take a vote to enter into executive session, they have to articulate the reason they're going into executive session. It's not enough to just say, oh, uh, litigation and, and personnel matters. They're supposed to be more specific than that. The degree of specificity is something that can be argued over a lot. 
but I could tell you broadly, uh, most boards are not meeting the recommendation that comes from the New York State Committee on Open Government. And I could run down the list, um, A through H, of what the exceptions to open meetings law is. So you may enter into executive session to discuss matters which will imperil the public safety if disclosed, any matter which may disclose the identity of a law enforcement agent or informer, information relating to current or future investigation or prosecution of a criminal offense which would imperil effective law enforcement if disclosed, discussions regarding proposed, pending, or current litigation, collective negotiations pursuant to Article 14 of the Civil Service Law, the medical, financial, credit, or employment history of a particular person or corporation or matters leading to the appointment, employment, promotion, demotion, discipline, suspension, dismissal, or removal of a particular person or corporation, the preparation, grading, or administration of exams, and the proposed acquisition, sale, or lease of real property, or the proposed acquisition of securities, or sale or exchange of securities held by such public body, but only when publicity would substantially affect the value thereof. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that could be like, you know, maybe a negotiation, for example, of a CPF land purchase or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, because that would be land acquisition. And if it was a collective bargaining negotiation, like between a town and the CSEA or another union, that's contractual, that's a negotiation, that's permitted. What we run into a lot is boards saying, uh, we're going into executive session to discuss contractual matters, and they don't tell you what the contracts pertain to. And what we recently ran into in Southampton Village with people saying, oh, well, there would have been a con there's a contract for these trash compactors that we bought. So it's contractual. Well, contracts for trash compactors is not the kind of contracts that open meetings law pertains to. So you can't say because we have a contract with so-and-so, it's a contractual matter. So the contracts they're speaking about are more dealing with like a personal or personnel who's being uh, who's maybe going to the payroll as opposed to an inanimate object like a bunch of compactors that yeah if you have a negotiation with a trash compactor company um you're not obligated to disclose like their finances anything about them like say a village wants to know that a company they're going to end up in a long-term contract with is financially viable they don't have to have that discussion in public because you can actually protect their corporate interests you have to protect the finances of an individual so but you can't just say we're thinking about signing a contract uh, for trash compactors, and we don't know if we're what company we're going to use, but we think we should have a contract. You don't get to just say, hey, it's contracts. We do it in executive session. And there, there's another example of this that's come up in the past, and that's litigation, because one of the things that a board will do a lot of times is say, well, we want to go into uh, private conversations with our attorney to get some legal advice which is a perfectly reasonable thing to, to do, but you have to be able to cite actual litigation that's either active or that you've been threatened with or that's been proposed. You have to be able to identify that. You can't just say, well, we want to discuss something that we might end up getting sued over. That's not good enough. You, you, you have to have those conversations in public until you're talking about a really specific legal strategy related to an identifiable lawsuit. These things matter um, because 
any opening that you have in these laws allow a board to go behind closed doors and have conversations that rightfully should be taking place in public. So the point that's in section 105 of the open meetings law is discussions regarding proposed, pending, or current litigation. So what is proposed or pending litigation? Um, you can interpret pending litigation as anything that you've received a notice of claim about, or you can interpret it as anything that's ever happened that somebody could possibly sue you over. And boards tend to interpret this very broadly. Sometimes courts take their side, sometimes they don't. There is another exemption when lawyers get involved. And this doesn't fall under those section 105 reasons for going to executive session. They fall under the 108 exemptions. And legal advice is different than executive session in a very significant way. To enter executive session, you have to have a publicly announced open session. You need to vote in open session to enter executive session, and you need to articulate in the motion the reasons you are going into executive session. If you are just seeking legal advice from your attorney, open meetings law does not apply. The reason for this is section 108 exemptions, part three says any matter made confidential by federal or state law. This is taken to mean that the current, uh, the attorney client privilege applies to municipal boards and committees that are seeking legal advice. So any matter made confidential by federal or state law, it doesn't mention attorney client privilege anywhere, but it is interpreted to mean that boards have attorney client privilege that they're allowed to exercise. Because it is not an executive session matter, it's strictly an exception to open meetings law. They don't have to tell you that they are meeting with their attorney to seek legal advice. They could just do it. They don't need to have a publicly announced meeting. They don't need to have a motion to enter executive session. They can just do it. Now, where this gets hinky is this is used very broadly. It's like anytime there's an attorney in the room, we get to just discuss things and say it's legal matters. Oh, it's, it's privileged. No. The Committee on Open Government has said that in order to exercise the attorney-client privilege, the attorney has to be giving advice that only an attorney is qualified to give, and the attorney needs to be an active participant in the discussion. If they make any decisions based off of that discussion, those need to be recorded votes. And recorded votes have to be taken either in executive session or in an open meeting. You can't take a recorded vote when you're just having a meeting with counsel that hasn't been announced. So you would then need to go schedule a meeting to actually memorialize whatever you decided. Um, and as soon as that attorney stops talking and the board members start deliberating, that deliberation is subject to open meetings law. It doesn't mean they have to have it in public. They could have that deliberation in executive session if perhaps it is pertaining to litigation, if perhaps it is pertaining to personnel, they could have it in executive session. What they're not allowed to do is to deliberate in private at an unannounced meeting with their attorney. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. 
independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSacHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. So I'm curious, are the, you know, I feel like just reading the story that you recently wrote about Southampton Village, Brendan, that um, the board members sort of put the onus on the the attorneys to know whether they are legit um, executive sessions or not. Is that something that we've heard a lot? It's like, well, the attorneys didn't object or they said we could do this or, you know, it seems like that's like the, the, the logistics that some boards use to go into an executive session. It's the advice of their attorney. So when I contacted the village attorney to ask why certain things were being discussed in executive session, I was told that certain things pertain to legal advice and were not subject to open meetings law. So what they did was they entered executive session to discuss things. And then when they could not defend the fact that these things were permitted to be discussed in executive session, they reclassified these discussions as seeking advice of counsel. Um, what we found out was that was a flimsy excuse because what really they wanted to do was, you know, a trustee wanted to criticize the mayor for saying, why are you telling village employees not to install trash compactors where they've been told to do it? You pulled them off of a task. It's not fair for the mayor to just come in and upend everything that people had planned. That should have happened in a public meeting, and they actually did vote to get out of executive session, go into the public meeting. But on that same agenda, there was other things, uh, such as there was a request to use the village seal. Is it possible that you need to ask the attorney a question about whether we could say yes or no to request to use the village seal? Yes. But then when the board decides, do we say yes, you may use the village seal, or do we say no, you may use the village seal? That's a deliberation. That's a vote. You could argue it's inaction if they don't take up a vote to actively say yes. Um, but that should have happened in public. Huh. Should the attorney have, have advised them like, hey, you know, everybody stop what you're discussing. Uh, you should go in a public session and discuss this because this does not fall under a exception open meetings law as an executive session. This did not this does not fall under um, advice of counsel, this should happen in public session. I would certainly like it if attorneys stepped up and did that, but the attorneys don't preside over the meeting. Uh. The mayor presides over the meeting. However, as the mayor pointed out, they've been divided four to one lately. If the mayor says we should discuss this in open session and he can't get two board members to agree with him, they can't vote to exit executive session and go back into public session the mayor or any trustee could just refuse to discuss it. If there's not a majority vote, they could say, hey, ask me as many questions as you want. I'm not answering you because this is in violation of open meetings law. But the attorney's job is really to work for the board and not to work for, say, the press's interest or the public interest in telling the board, hey, clam it, go, go do this in public session. And if you ask an attorney for the village. Hey, did the village break the law? The attorney for the village isn't going to say like, why? Yes. Why? Yes. They did break <laughs> yes. the law. 
funny you should ask. <laughs> One thing I, well, quickly, I just was curious. It seems like a lot of times these, I don't know if this is typical, but are some of these executive sessions sort of a way for the board to try to maybe hide discord between board members? Well, in Southampton Village, I would say that has been what's been going on for a while. We had editorialized previously about a couple incidents where the mayor wanted something to go one way, the trustees wanted something to go the other way, and the mayor's trying to discuss it. And, you know, even if he knows it's not going to go his way, he might want to make points in public so the public knows where he's coming from. The trustees can retort by saying where they're coming from in public. And what happened on at least two occasions that I can remember is a trustee said, I move that we table this to executive session. I never heard a board move to table something to executive session before. So that means we're going to cease this discussion, this deliberation that we are having on a resolution, and we're going to pick up the deliberation in an executive session. Interesting. Okay. You're not supposed to deliberate in an executive session. So how could you do that? You're allowed to, to go seek counsel from the attorney that you don't want to seek that counsel in public. You're allowed to do that. But to say we're adjourning this to executive session, I don't think that that's a defensible motion. It basically was just a way to stop the mayor from continuing to talk and to stop the argument from happening in public. And that's also why the trash compactors came up on the executive session discussion. I want to go after the mayor for telling employees to stop installing the trash compactors. So I'm not going to put that as a discussion item on the agenda. I'm not going to bring it up during the trustee comment period at the end of the meeting. I'm going to bring it up in executive session when the cameras are off and there's no one in the room. So a two-part question for you and for Bill. Why should anyone care about this? Why is this important? And the second part of that question is, in particular, why are listeners of this podcast, why should they be aware of this when we fight these battles all the time on their behalf? But why, why should people out there care about this? But I, I feel like this is so much a part of what we do. And I wonder if there are some listeners who might be like, why are we even having this conversation? Why, is it, why does this matter? Why is it important? Because the boards work for the people. The boards work for the public. And the boards spend the public's money. I mean, the boards set taxes and tax rates and, and spend, and, and what they're doing is, is, is all based on, on public and, and public money. And it's a matter of, of trust. People should know. I, I, think the, I think money is kind of at the root of a lot of this, but, but the public should know how their government is, is governing. And and should know that that they're that the people that they've elected um, to sit on these boards have their best interests in heart. That's why deliberations need to be made in public, so the public understands what they're doing. I think it's as simple as 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 that. When you start having behind closed door meetings and and they don't meet the qualifications of of the law, they then become secret meetings and and you know and who knows what they're saying in those meetings and what those deliberations are and who's we and, and whose interests they have at heart when we're talking about you know different board members wanting to go into an executive session um so that they can have an argument um behind closed doors and the public not see their disagreement um that just defeats the idea of an open government 
And of course, though, my question is how successful have we or any organization or any individuals been at um, pushing back against what they feel are violations of the open meetings law? It feels like there's not a lot of teeth to the law in um, in recourse. There's no real enforcement, right? I mean, right. I was going to say, Brenda, we, we win some and we lose some um, in the sense of even when we win, sometimes they're, they're sort of hollow victories, right? Because there's only so much that you can win in a case like this, because there isn't much teeth to the law. So if a vote was taken in violation of open meetings law, that could be canceled. And courts have and done struck down votes that way. It doesn't feel like a huge victory to get a vote overturned because it happened during a a meeting that was in violation of open meetings law, because then the board could just turn around and take that vote again in public. It might delay certain things that a village had planned to make them retake a vote, but it's not like the worst thing in the world for a village to just have to take a vote again. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have the full deliberation that they had in private or at an improperly noticed meeting it's not that they're going to repeat that deliberation again in public for everybody to see. They've already said it. They all know how they feel about it. They already know how everybody's going to vote on it. Unless you invalidate a vote and then there's an election, so the composition of the board changes, and then the new board gets to vote on the matter, that might change an outcome. But really, you might not be changing a lot of outcomes by invalidating votes. There are legal costs that villages and towns and boards don't want to incur. That's a savings. The other thing is, if they don't actually take a vote and all they're doing is deliberating, well, what can you do if they didn't allocate any money, there's no vote to invalidate? Well, you could file an Article 78, which is a type of petition to redress a decision that a municipal board has made, and a court could order that board to undergo open government training. That doesn't seem like a great monumental thing to get to just have a court come around and say, you know what, you guys have to take open meetings law training. I think there should probably be some sort of a like injunction. I don't know what you would call it, but some sort of an order saying, Hey, don't break open meetings law again, because if you break open meetings law again, you're going to be held uh, for contempt of a court order which can actually be like a misdemeanor charge or something. But I, I don't know that courts have ever really taken it that seriously to tell a board, I am ordering you not to break open meetings law again. But I do know that they've had occasions where they've just said, you must take the training. So what I suggested to Southampton Village is, why don't you just take the training? There's no reason to take things so far that you would have an Article 78 lawsuit that somebody has to go file and then the village attorney has to defend it and you already know you're wrong. So the court's of course going to tell everybody to take the training. So why don't you just take the training voluntarily? So that's why at the uh, April 13th meeting of Southampton Village, I mean, I say that's why I'm not taking all the credit for it. Um, the mayor put a resolution on the agenda that the village board and the land use boards have to take open meetings law training annually which they should be doing anyway. You should have to do it when you're elected. You should have to do it periodically because the laws change. The laws changed a couple of times in light of COVID. So it's everybody is due for an update. So everybody's going to have- Let's say the, the boards change as well. And you're always getting new people in there and it's 
you know, I mean, I think that's a lot of it too. It's like, if you have an inexperienced board, there may be a lot that they don't understand about the law. Yeah. You know, there is orientations that people take when they get appointed to a ZBA, a zoning board of appeals or something. I'm just not sure how extensive their open meetings law training is. If these things are just like mentioned for a couple minutes versus doing like a real training where they understand why this is important and that it's not optional for them to adhere to it. Yeah, I remember I used to cover a school board on out here on the East End and every agenda, they already had their executive session on the agenda, you know, um, it was I think they usually do that at the end of the meeting. So, you know, everybody could go home. Um, but it was just a matter of course that there was an executive session on the agenda, like like a boilerplate line item. So the advice from the Committee on Open Government is you're not actually supposed to have an executive session agenda because you're only supposed to vote to go into executive session if something comes up that has to be done in private, right? So they do acknowledge though that sometimes like a board knows like, oh yeah, we're going to be discussing litigation. So they're they don't complete they don't completely prohibit having an executive session agenda. The thing is, when you look at the agenda for Southampton Village, for instance, it says at the end of the meeting, motion to enter into executive session. That's not adequate. The motion is supposed to say, you know, motion to enter into executive session to discuss the CSEA contract, or at least say to discuss a collective bargaining agreement. It's not just a motion to discuss matters, personal, contractual, blah, blah, blah. You, you're supposed to specify, and you're supposed to record that in the minutes. What's recorded in the minutes can't just say motion to enter executive session. You know, I think for these board members, it can be frustrating because having to navigate these conversations in a public setting is tricky and, and risky for board members who maybe aren't all that well-versed about the lines that they can cross. And so there's a temptation there, you know, where, where it, it seems it's easier to have these conversations behind closed doors, but easier isn't necessarily, and in this case, it certainly is not better. I mean, public business is supposed to be tricky and difficult. And um, I think, I think the public needs to to witness every step of the process and i think that's true for all of these boards including school boards maybe most essentially school boards because you know you lose a lot of faith in government when you don't see how things are happening so i i you know i we fight it's like i said we fight these fights all the time and we took the rare step a few years ago of actually going to court to fight a local school board, the Southampton school board, um, when they had a school official who left um, and he left after an investigation took place that the school board undertook and the school board never said what that investigation found and they settled their agreement this, uh, you know, with, um, with his departure as a non-disclosure agreement. So the public never found out why that official left. And we, we went to court to try and argue that that should be a public document and it should be, and, and that's, 
starts to cross over from um, open meetings laws and into um, freedom of information laws, which are sort of intertwined. But in this case, it was about the board taking action at a public meeting and not explaining why that action was taking place. So it goes back to what I said in the beginning, which is the very, you know, the, the whole point of this legislation is that people have a right to see every step of the process, not just the decision, but why the decision was made and how it was reached. And there were cases, and, and that was one of those instances where I think in some regards, we won that lawsuit, but I don't think we were satisfied with the resolution of it. It, it We got some information, but not all. And I think uh, it just shows the limitations of these fights. And you know, one of the one of the key takeaways here, I think, for people listening is these are your fights, too. And these are not fights that we need to take. We take them on the public's behalf, but there's nothing stopping members of the public from from being more attentive to this as well. This is Catherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27east.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. So can I ask, has, did COVID change, because everybody went to Zoom, did it change the ease with which boards could go into an executive session? I'm just wondering if that, if we've seen any effect of how uh, moving from live meetings to online meetings changed the way boards operate in this regard. So during COVID, the rules governing executive session did not change, but the rules governing uh, public sessions did because suddenly, you know, you never used to be able to have a meeting where all five board members were attending remotely. I don't even think you could have one board member attend remotely. Um, but there was some executive orders by Governor Cuomo during the time and things changed. And finally, there was legislation. So there is legislation in place right now that actually has an expiration date on it. It is deemed to be expired and repealed on July 1st, 2024. But this pertains to video conferencing by public bodies. Here's the way things are working right now until July 1st, 2024. A quorum must be present in the room. So if you have a five member board, three people have to be present in the room. If only two people are present and three people are remote, you can't have a meeting. Oh. Um, so three people have to be in the room. The fourth member and the fifth member, they can zoom into the meeting, that's permitted. If even one person who is on the board is attending remotely, that means every single member of the public may also attend remotely. So that means they need to be able to get into the same Zoom room that the board members are on. That meeting that is a hybrid meeting must be recorded, it must be broadcast, it must be retained for five years, um, you have to publish the whole meeting, you can't publish an, edit, uh, an edited meeting. And this is actually something that the village board ran into in March. They had a meeting where, uh, you know, there were some concerns over COVID. Uh, two board members attended the meeting remotely. 
However, they had an executive session that started at 5 p.m. Well, you had an executive session that started at 5 p.m., but you didn't have the cameras turned on until 6 p.m. So they could not enter into executive session at 5 p.m. because you could only enter into executive session during the course of a public meeting. So they breached open meetings law there by going to, into executive session without having cameras turned on. Had that meeting had all five board members um, present at Village Hall and it was not considered a hybrid meeting, they wouldn't need to have the cameras turned on. They wouldn't need to record the whole thing. They wouldn't need to broadcast it. I wonder too, I mean, you're talking about technology and there's a, a, a little bit of a different direction, but I, I wonder <clears throat> how much technology has changed um, the the uh, ability not not ability but instances where where boards have wittingly or unwittingly you know violated open meetings through the use of of email and perhaps video conferencing and 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 all I mean and I've heard board members say well you know we we you know we don't do a group email but one person emails the other person and then you know and then emails the other person and they're having they're 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 doing negotiations they're they're you know they're doing deliberations um you know through through emails rather than during a regular meeting and i guess you know in the past they could have done that over the phone you know through a phone tree or or, or whatever but um i i think there's a lot of that going on now too and and it just comes back to the point that deliberation should be made in public not um not not privately and and you know that's happening when you go to a board meeting and you know and there's a resolution um you know that that they're voting on and there's no discussion and everybody knows which way they're voting and they just cast their votes and i've been to meetings where there's 30 agenda items and there's absolutely no discussion of a single one of those agenda items you know they've had a discussion about them bill to your point Sometimes they will they will have a meeting where they have a discussion and they say, okay, we're going to approve this pending written decision. So the next meeting comes and it's just like, ba-boom, ba-boom, they're approving all these written decisions. But you have some boards where instead of them deliberating it in public before saying we're, we're going to approve it for written decision, they'll hear everything in public. And then the chair will call each board member individually and say, how do you feel? And then call the attorney and say, okay, write this. Th you this know. is what a majority approves of. And are you allowed to do that? Yes. Should you do that? Absolutely not. I, I, it, it's one of the maddening things about being a reporter where you have board chairs finding the loophole. Like, oh, what, what could I do here to make sure that no board member needs to give their opinion on an application in public? What could we do here? Oh, I could call up every board member individually, have them give me their opinion privately, and then I'll, I will compile them with the village attorney into, into one decision, just to make sure that the public does not know how we felt about this application. That is totally against the spirit of the open meetings law. And it's not enough to follow the open meetings law by the letter, follow it by the spirit if you wanna be a public official. Otherwise get out of the way and let somebody else be a public official who wants to do the public's business in public. And then there's also the complication of board members that may encounter each other either by intention or accident at events outside of the village or town hall, right? I mean, that's always a thing like, oh, you know, three of them in a room, maybe by, you know, it could be a cocktail party, but that's other places where they have to be very aware not to 
talk about certain things that are before the board, right? Right. They can't get together in a quorum and discuss things. If two people show up, it's fine. If three people show up, that's a quorum. And now they're not allowed to deliberate village business and they should really think about whether they should continue that gathering. I, I heard a, I heard a story once and, and um, I don't, it, it was probably at a workshop on, on opens me open meetings. And there was a, a board and this was, wasn't in our area, not in our coverage area, but there was a board where, where they would get together and have dinner, all the board members at a restaurant prior to the meeting. Um, and they claimed that, that they didn't discuss business, that it was just a social occasion for them to, to get together and, and all that before a meeting. But a reporter challenged that and they had to start um, noticing that as a public meeting and that reporter got a, a chair at, at the table moving forward when they went to have dinner. And, and that's absolutely appropriate because I can't imagine that you're going to have a two hour dinner, hour and a half dinner, whatever, before a meeting. And you're not going to discuss the hot topics that you're going to be talking about in a meeting. So I think, yeah, they have to be careful and we have to watch that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've said this many times that you can tell the health of a board by the number of unanimous votes, the more unanimous votes, the less healthy that board is, because it means one of a couple of things. It either means the tough conversations are taking place illegally away from the public so that they can come together in public and look like they're united, or those tough conversations are just not taking place. And, and to believe that a board is always 100% in agreement on every topic is, is kind of crazy. I mean, I, I think people see three to two votes and, and four to one votes as unhealthy. And I would say just the opposite. I think what you need is to see some, some real disagreement on, on important topics because very but, few but, topics. But not, not are, even just on the vote, Joe. I mean, you've got to see those conversations happening before the vote and understand why that one person who's going to be the no vote, why they're opposed to, to a measure and, and have absolutely. a reason conversation you know and reasoned deliberation about that and and the public needs to know why that one person disagrees they may disagree as well so we fight these fights for a reason you know it's it they're not we don't we don't take these fights on just um for the fun of it um because they're not very fun frankly they're not they're not have have we encountered boards that maybe weren't the best behaved when it came to open meetings law and that after being apprised of their violations straightened up and started doing it right i think a lot of boards will be responsive when you can show them in the law but i think we have an active example with southampton village because southampton village quite frankly is not following the law. And we are very confident in saying that, that, that they are violating the open meetings law on a fairly regular basis right now. We are calling attention to it. And now the state has suggested that they take some training. I think there's a chance to turn that around. And, and you know, that would be the best outcome for everybody. We, we want to see that. We want to see this board just start to 
understand the law and follow it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'll go a step further and say, I don't know that there's necessarily any nefarious intent from these boards all the time. I just don't think they understand the law. And I just don't think they understand why the law is important. And, you know, here's an example of a board where that's true. And I think they have a chance to show that, that they can change that. What, what were, I think we cut Brendan, Brendan off earlier. What was the uh, re result of the mayor's uh, proposal at the meeting on the 13th that everybody undergo training? Was, was there a vote? It passed unanimously without discussion, which is, you know, the way it should have gone. <laughs> could, could you, well, who knows if they discussed it in private after they <laughs> put it on the agenda? I would hope Irony. Um, but you know they don't get the trustees don't get along with the mayor anyway so i doubt any of them called up the mayor to chit chat about it and i doubt a quorum got together with the mayor to chit chat about it um but you put something like that on an agenda and how could any trustee yeah. or mayor of any board of any school board anywhere vote against that if they were to vote against taking open meetings law training once a year that would be telling. it would be very telling they would basically just kill their re-election chances right like yeah. there you know there's a campaign ad right there so of course they were going to vote yes um and now the next step is ensuring everybody actually complies i you know it's funny because i think we find this stuff really interesting because we deal with it all the time i don't know what the public feels about it i think when the public does respond they generally understand the importance of this and and um they get it but i thought of you know I, I think it's a good conversation to have every once in a while just to remind people why it's important it's not you know these things matter it's a, this is this is what public business is all about so can i just add maybe just to end this like um what what advice can we give public the public if they see something that they believe is a violation of the open meetings law and they would like to see something changed I mean, they need to speak up, right, Brendan? I mean, I think well, to who? Like, who do they? Who do they complain to? So, for one, I would take things right to the board. You could either email the mayor, call the mayor's office, or the school board president's office, whatever it may be, and raise your concerns. I think doing it in writing is probably best because now there's a record of it, and you can get up in public comment at a meeting and say hey, I'm concerned that you are discussing the public's business in private and that you've had an improper executive session. Your motion did not give a reason for going to executive session. I know that's against the law. You could say these things publicly at a meeting. I mean, enough people do. I think that boards and committees will start to comply because they don't want to be subject to that kind of embarrassment of being called out publicly. The other thing to do is to contact the Southampton Press or whoever your local newspaper or news organization may be because we're here to stand up for things like government transparency. So we very much consider it our job to keep a tab on these things. And I will say that there's a difference between what boards must do and what boards should do. And sometimes they must have conversations about personnel in private because personnel have a degree of confidentiality that they are entitled to. There are other things that they that boards may discuss in executive session that they don't have to. And I suggest that boards always err on the side of transparency 
rather than err on the side of confidentiality. That will help those boards stay out of trouble. It will prevent them from running afoul of the law, but it will also increase public confidence by having as many of these discussions in public as possible. And I also want to note that while, yes, you may ask legal questions of your attorney privately and you don't even need to do it in executive session, you're allowed to just do it. You don't need to ask every question of your attorney in private. Some of these questions, can we do that? Can we not do this? You're not exposing the board or the village to any legal liability by asking certain questions in public of your attorney. So just ask it in public. When people go out of their way to ask every single mundane question of their attorney with the public excluded, it raises a lot of red flags. We elect people to these boards so that they will make decisions. You can't defer all of those decisions to your professionals. You, you've got to make some decisions on your own with advice. But, you know, it comes down to when, when people are elected to boards, they're expected to do the public business and they're expected to do it the right way. And, and that's the, the, third, the third answer to, 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 to Brendan's question. If, if, you've, if, you've, if you've objected to the board and you've contacted the local newspaper and nothing happens and you continue to see violations, then you have an option at the ballot box the next, the next election to um, maybe find a candidate who understands the spirit of the law a little better. And I hope it gets through to people. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.